Good evening. Good to see some people on here. Not a whole lot, but a few people on right now. Uh, maybe we'll add a little bit of steam as we go. But uh, we're in an empty auditorium here, just me and my family, which is pretty good. We've got six of us here. That could be uh, more than some churches. So we're, we're doing all right. Uh, but anyway, if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Judges chapter 2. And we're going to be starting a series. And I don't think it'll be a long series, but we're going to look at, at the book of Judges. And I've had several people ask me, on just my life, but why are we studying Judges? And my answer is very simple because it's scripture. I think all scripture is profitable. It's all, uh, every bit of it is something that we can get something out of. So it's all good for us, no matter where we turn. We can turn to the start, we can turn to the end, we can turn throughout the Bible. And it's all scripture, it's all God-breathed, and every single bit of it is good for us. So then why judges in particular? Uh, and my answer would be because it's timely. If you look around at our world we're living in right now, and you guys may know one little tidbit about judges, is that it's a period of time when everybody's doing what's right in their own eyes. And I think we're living in a world right now where everybody's doing what's right in their own eyes. And they're not seeking God, they're not fearing God. And as a repercussion or a consequence, we're seeing what's happening all over the world, all over our nation. So it's a timely passage of Scripture, it's a timely book, and it's, I think it's what we need. It's what we need to, to prepare our hearts for what we're living in right now. Uh, so it shows us here, that's the, the title of the sermon tonight, and I think I want to title it the whole series. Uh, when God abandons a nation. What happens when God abandons a nation? And these scripture right here in front of us is a graphic picture of what happens when God abandons a nation. And I'm going to give you a quote before I read uh, Judges chapter 2, verses 6 through 15. Uh, but J.C. Ryle said this. He's an old English preacher from the 1900s, early 1900s. He said, give me a Bible and a candle and put me in a closet and I can tell you everything that's going on in the world. And it's true. If you have the Bible, you can understand everything that's taking place in the world. So as we open up the book of Judges, we're going to see and understand everything that's taking place in our world, in our nation today. So I'm going to read these verses to you, then we'll pray. But I want to show you what, what happens when God abandons a nation. Starting in, in, in verse 6 of Judges chapter 2, the word of God reads, And when Joshua had let the people go, the children of Israel went every man into his inheritance to possess the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elder, elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun, servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance in Timnath Ares, in the Mount of Ephraim, in the north side of Gaiash. And also all that generation were gathered of their fathers, and there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. In this generation, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Baal. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt, and followed other gods, the gods of the people that were round about them. And they bowed themselves unto them and provoked the Lord to anger. And they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtaroth. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. And he delivered them into the hands, he delivered them, he, he abandoned them, he gave them up delivered them into the hands of spoilers that spoiled them, and he sold them into the hands of their enemies round about, so that they could not any longer stand before their enemies. Whithersoever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil, as the Lord had said, and as the Lord had sworn unto them, and the nation was greatly distressed. This is just a small picture of the book of Judges, and what happens when God abandons the nation. Very serious passage we're going to look at tonight. So let's go ahead and pray 
And we'll study these verses, really, from chapters 1 and 2. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word, that it is uh, life-giving, and, and we love that. That your word brings life into us, saving life. But also, God, your word is instructive, and it shows us what happens, how far a nation can go until it crosses a line, how far a people, a society can go before you say that's enough, that's too far. God, as we look down at Israel in this passage today, and we look through history at them and what they did and what you did in response to them, that help us to apply it to our own lives, our own families, our own churches, and yes, even to our own nation. May we learn from this. May it be an example to us as we study what happens, God, when you say enough is enough. And God, my fear and my worry is that we are at that point in America, that you said enough is enough. So teach us tonight. We ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to make a strong statement as we start out tonight. It is a strong statement. It's not something that's mentioned in a lot of churches. It's not something that Christians sit down and talk about. This may be something that, that very few preachers will sit and, and they'll have discussions about these types of things. But here it is, a very strong statement. God does abandon people. He does abandon nations. He does abandon societies. It, it happens. It, it, there comes a time when there's a, a line that people will cross, a point that people will, will get to where God has had enough and he says no more. And he turns them over to the consequence of their own sin, their own rebellion, their own evil acts. And, and it happens. And, and where God will take their strain away, where there's no longer a, any grace, there's no longer any breaks, it's the judgment of God where he abandons a nation and he lets them go. And, and it becomes a free fall where they were slowly falling away into sin and turning their back on God. When God decides enough is enough and, and they cross that line, God abandons them and they go I mean, full force into a free fall into sin. And that's what happens when God abandons a nation. And, and I'm not just going to make that statement and tell you, hey, it, it happens. I, I want to uh, make it clear from Scripture. I don't want you to sit here and think that I made this up. That's my opinion. I want you to know that this is, is, is a biblical thing. And I don't have time to go to all of them. But it says in Hosea 4 that God said to leave them alone, to abandon them. It says in Matthew chapter 15 that they were the blind leading the blind. And God told them to leave them alone. It says in Romans chapter 1, if you can read these verses 18 through 32, what happens when God abandons the people? He says repeatedly in that passage to, that he gave them over. He gave them over to this and he gave them over to that. That God will abandon a people, a nation, a culture, a society and let them go. And here we are in Judges. I've given you those examples. I'm going to give you one more. And, and I'm going to read this at the end, but I'm going to read it now. In Proverbs chapter 1, you don't have to turn there, but I want you to listen in. I want you to, to tune in with your ears and, and hear what he says here in Proverbs chapter 1. There's several verses, so hang with me here. Verse 24, it says, Because I have called, and you have refused. I have stretched out my hand, and no man regarded it. Here God is stretching out his hand, and no man reached out to grab back. But you have said it not all my counsel, and would have none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity, and I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation, and your destruction cometh as, as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish cometh upon you, then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer them. It goes on. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. For they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord. They would none of my counsel. They saw my proof. 
Therefore shall they, here we go, the, the consequences, they shall eat of the fruit of their own way and shall be filled with their own devices. For the turning away of the simple shall slay them, and the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. What a sobering passage. And God will turn you over. Turn a nation over. He will abandon it. And that's exactly what he's, he's doing here in Judges. As the book of Judges sits in the seventh in line uh, in the Old Testament, and, and it's often overlooked because there's so many good things around it. Joshua is a great book right before Judges, and, and Ruth is one of my favorite books in the Old Testament. So, such wonderful stories of, of victory and, and of how God uh, turns things around for Ruth. These are great stories, but tucked in the middle of those two books is the book of Judges. And this book of Judges is the most clear, it's the most detailed, it's the most comprehensive, and I'll say this, the most graphic book in the Old Testament. A picture of what happens when judgment falls upon a nation. And let, let me show you a little bit of what it looks like, of what happens when God says enough is enough. Here's what happens to the people. I, I would consider the book of Judges blood-stained pages. There's rampant sin. There's human sin in, in the fullness of its ugliness. There's open rebellion. There's blatant sinfulness. There's violence in this book. There's bloodshed. There's political chaos. There's families that are ripped apart. There's sexual deviancy. And, and on top of that, more and more and more violence. Judges chapter 1 and chapter 2 stands as warnings to us. Beware when you enter this book. It's going to get ugly. If you caught your kids watching a movie about what happens in Judges, you turn it off. These are pictures of human sin in the entirety of its ugliness. It's as ugly as it gets. This is what happens when God abandons a nation. This book is here for us to learn from. We look at history, we look at examples, and they're there for us to learn from. To learn from their mistakes, to see what it looks like, to see how it happens, to learn a lesson so that this doesn't happen to us. We need to read Judges. We love Joshua, the, the conquering book. We love Ruth, a love story beyond all love stories. But we need to turn our pages to look at Judges and to learn a lesson of what happens when God abandons a nation. Let me say this, as ugly as this book is, as dark as it is, there's also much beauty in the grace of God. As we will see repeatedly, the people are in their sin, it's, it's ugly, and then we see the beauty of grace. And it's dark, we see the light of grace. So we will see a lot of God saying, okay, I'm going to help you out here. I'm going to give you a little glimmer of hope here. And this is also a Brings up a question for us that I'm not going to answer right now. But I want us to, to think about it as we go through not just this sermon, but the rest of the sermons as we look at the, the book of Judges. The question is, and it's a tough question. I don't want to answer it because it's not my place to answer this. But the question is, and you must ask yourself this, has God abandoned America? As we look at this, the example, the, the lessons that we learn, the, the picture that it gives us of when God abandons a nation, and really when a people abandon God. We need to ask ourselves, has God abandoned America? And if he has, is there a way out? Is there hope? Is there life? 
for us. So let's look at what, what it looks like when God abandons the nation. And we're going to cover a big chunk tonight. And I, that's how I want to take the book of Judges. I don't want to do it in, in small little increments like we do most of our New Testament books. If we do the book of Matthew, it's small little a verse here and a verse there. I don't want to do that. I want to take it in big chunks so that we can tackle this in, in, in a short amount of time. So I'm going to look at Judges chapter 1 and chapter 2 tonight as we look at what happens when God abandons the nation. And these two chapters are just introduction into what really goes on here. So let's look at this as we see, again, what God, when God abandons the nation. I want to start with, in verse 6, really verses 6 through 10, I want to show you the great conquest of that nation. The great conquest. Now that, that's the heading there. The great conquest. Because they started out, the nation of Israel started out so, so very strong. Judges, again, I've already said this. We need to know where it's at in its context. We need to know where it's at in history. Judges, if you turn over a page, you might want to do this. Judges comes directly after the book of Joshua. And the book of Joshua is an extremely positive book. It's an uplifting book. It's a book of, of like at this point, of conquering, of, of winning a battle. I almost titled this the, the great success of the nation because they have, they, they have had a great Success, and, and let me give you a little bit of history about no success, because it says in verse six, and when Joshua let the people go, so we have to go back into Joshua and see what happened for him to let them go. Here, here's what happened: the, the nation of Israel were slaves in, in Egypt. We know that. You can go back to the book of Exodus and see that that, that they got caught in slavery there. Uh, millions of people, uh, as they were working so hard, and God sent Moses, a deliverer, to, to let his people go and to get them out of there. So Moses delivered the people. There was a miraculous escape, really unlike in comparison, unlike any salvation that we've ever seen, other than what Jesus does for us in getting us out of our sin. But he gets them out of Egypt. He saved them out of the hands of their oppressors. They crossed the Red Sea on dry land. And then it, 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 it took over the people. I can't think of the right word. But it, 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 it destroyed the, the, the Egyptians as they followed. So there's a miraculous escape. And as they got to the other side, they spent 40 years in the wilderness. Just a little backstory here. And as they got close to the, to the promised land, we, we know this, they sent out 12 spies. Can we take it? 12 spies went and they spied out the land. And they said, yes, this is a, an amazing land full, full of, uh, of great fruit and, and, and prosperity. And we want it. But 10 of those spies said, these, these people are too big. They're too strong. Their armies would overcome us. And two of the spies said, no, we need to go in and conquer the land as God said to. Those two spies were Joshua and Caleb. And that's who we're left with here at the, at the start of the book of Judges. The rest of the generation wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And when that generation died, the only ones left were Joshua and Caleb's generation. And they entered into the promised land. And that's where we are in verse 6 of chapter 2. They entered in. That's Joshua. That's the book of Joshua. That's victory. That's conquering. As we go into Judges, here, they are at the front page of this. They're in the height of God's blessing. They're out of Egypt, they're out of the wilderness, they, they conquered, they won battles, and here they are in the nation that God had promised them. And Joshua looks at them in verse 6 and says, go in every man, here's your inheritance, here's what God has, has promised, it's all yours. Go in and live, go in and, and, and worship God in that land, live there, have babies. You've got your land, it's a high point, the highest of points. 
I can imagine in verse 6 that Israel is walking in singing, we are the champions. They go and possess it. In verse 6, I want you to see that. In verses 6 to 10, God is protecting them. God is their protector. Nobody messes with Israel. They're a bunch of slaves are winning battle after battle after battle. And it's not their strength. It's not their armies. It's God's strength. He's protecting his people. Not only is God protecting them, but he's providing for them. I mean, he's giving them fruit like nothing we've ever seen. They're enjoying the fruits of their labors. Grapes the size of basketballs. I mean, it's an amazing thing. And, and they're having big, beautiful crops, and they're having lots of kids, and they're winning battles. And God said, there you go. In my provision, in my power, in my promise, in my protection, it can't get any better than where they are. God is with them. God is formed for them. He's formed them. He's blessed them. It was the best of times in verse 6. The people says, look at it. The people served the Lord all the days of Joshua. And all the days of the elders. That I lived Joshua. Who had seen the great works of the Lord that, that he did for Israel. This is where Joshua ends. Great conquest. This is where Judges begins. Great conquest. This is a wonderful beginning to the book of Judges. Now let me apply this. There's a lot of history there. I know you guys may be sitting there saying, come on, Joshua, keep going. Let's get to the good stuff. Let me apply this to us. I know that America is not Israel. We're not the, the promised nation. Our land isn't the promised land. But I can't say this about America. We had a very great beginning. If you look at our nation, we've been blessed by God. God, we, we were formed and founded upon, and I want to make this clear, we were formed and we were founded upon biblical principles. That's where our nation began. That's where we started. And God has richly blessed this nation to the point where our pillars that, that founded this nation and, and God has started where biblical pillars I've got a quote here by Patrick Henry. He was a, a governor of Virginia. He was a founding father. He's the one who said, give me liberty or give me death. And he said this, it cannot be emphasized too much or repeated too strongly that America was founded not by religionists, but by Christians. Not upon religions, but upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he said this in 1776. So I need to repeat it again because there's very uh, many people that are forgetting this. That our nation was not founded upon religions or religionists. It was founded by Christian values, biblical values, upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's where we began. We had a, a great conquest at the beginning of our nation. And we don't need to forget that. That's where we come from. And many have taken it for granted. But we began with a great conquest. But we need to also understand that we are always one generation away from abandonment. You can't live on what happened in the past. So I want to show you point number two. Not just the great conquest of that nation. But I want to show you the gradual compromise of that nation. Because you can say, well, where, how in the world? Watch this. this. This is pretty good. How in the world? We'll talk about the nation of Israel here. How can they go from the highest of highs when they began in, in the book of Judges and when it ended in Joshua? I mean, they, they were at the height of heights of God's blessing. How can they go from that to where at the end of Joshua they're doing what's right in their own eyes? 
And God has abandoned them. God has blessed them at the beginning. And God has abandoned them at the end. How does that happen? It doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen in, in a moment. It doesn't happen in, in one act. It happens with a, a gradual compromise where you go from the height of God's blessings to the lowest of God's curses. That's how it happened in the nation of Israel. That's how it, it has happened with the nation of America. As we began with the great conquering of the highest of heights of God's blessings upon us. Where we can truly see God has blessed America. How did we go from there to where we are today as we look around in our nation and what's going on? It didn't happen overnight. It didn't happen in one decade. It didn't happen even in one generation. It happened with a gradual compromise where we go from the heights of God's blessings to the lows of God's curses. So let's look at it. They talk about the old generation now. In verse 6, we, we saw that they went in. People served the Lord all the days of Joshua in that generation. All the days of the elders that outlived Joshua. We've seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. So you had a generation that went into the promised land and they'd seen everything that God had done for them. They, I mean, you think, you think your grandpa has stories? I used to love doing that. I'd sit down with my papa and he'd tell me old stories from, from as far back as he could remember. And he's from the generation of the, the greatest generation where, where he went to World War II and he was in Hawaii right after uh, the attack at Pearl Harbor happened. You'd sit down and say, Papa, tell me about it. And he'd pull out pictures and he he tells stories, and, and you could go through World War II, uh, and you could go through the Korean War and the Vietnam. He just tell you all these stories of the time that he lived in. Now, God had brought him through all these things. But when they sit down with this generation, with their forefathers, with their papas, they sit down with him, and they told them stories about Moses. They told them stories about the, going through the wilderness for 40 years. They told them about the, the Red Sea opening up and then going through on dry land. They told them about manna that was on the ground. They told them about all of God's provisions and all of God's power. That's what this generation went through. They knew all the great works of God. They seen him do amazing things. That generation knew God personally. Fire by night and cloud by day. They saw it. They saw Moses go up into the into Mount Sinai. He went up a dark-headed man and came down, came down like he'd seen the sun within inches with the tablets of stone. They'd seen all the mighty works of God. But watch what happens. That generation, as we're looking back, we had generations of old who knew God and saw God work. But watch what happens. That generation dies. Look what it says. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the leader, served the Lord. He died. You can underline died there. 110 years old. They buried him in the border of his inheritance in Timnath Hurries, the Mount of Ephraim, on the north side of Gaash. And not just Joshua died, a great leader, but also all that generation were gathered to their fathers. So it took them about 25 years once they got in there. They all died. That generation who saw it all. Who understood the mighty works of God. We can talk about how great that generation was, but they made a couple of mistakes here. Two in particular. The mistakes here of the old generation. Let me show them to you. When they came into the promised land, that's going back to Judges chapter 1. When they came into the promised land, they didn't drive out the Canaanites like they were supposed to. 
God sent them into the promised land, and he, he told them, as you go into the land to possess it, I want you to, God said this, to get rid of every single one of them. I want you to leave no bad influences, drive them all out, wipe them out, utterly destroy every nation that's in there when you win the battle. I want you to wipe everything out, total and complete wipe out of everything. Leave no influences. Get rid of all of it. And they only obeyed partially. Let me show you. Look at, look at uh, Judges chapter 1. There's probably going to be some words here that are hard for me to, to say. But I, I want to look, read through this. As they give them the land, look what the Joshua generation didn't do. And Judah went up, and the Lord delivered the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hand. And they slew of them in Bezek 10,000 men. You see that? They go in, they slay, they slay 10,000. They're wiping them all out. Except they left. Look what happens. And they found Adonai Bezek. He's the, the leader. He's the Lord of Bezek. They found him in Bezek, and they fought against him, and they slew the Canaanites and the Perizzites, but, you see that? I would take out a pen, I've got an underline, but. But they let Adonai Bezek die, live. It says that Adonai Bezek fled, and they pursued after him, and they caught him, and instead of killing him, look what they do to him. I hope you guys are reading this. That's a great statement. Instead of killing him, they torture him. Oh, God's people do. They cut off his thumbs, and they cut off his big toes. And Adonai Bezek said, Three score of ten kings, have, having their thumbs and their great toes cut off, gathered the meat under the table, and I have done. So God hath repaid me. And they brought him into, into Jerusalem and kept him there until he died. So instead of wiping him out, they cut off his thumbs and his big toes. They didn't obey completely what God told them to do. Just a little bit of disobedience. You see that? It's just a little bit. It's just, it's just the beginning. As we, as we are taking that, that, going down that slope of, of sin to the highest of God's blessings to the lowest of God's cursings, it all started with a, a little bitty compromise that God said to, to wipe them out, but we're going to leave them. And, and God won't care. We'll cut off his thumbs. He'll never hold a sword again. You ever try to hold a sword without thumbs? It's impossible. You'll never run again. You can't run without big toes. So they're like, it don't matter if we kill him or not. We'll just leave him around. We'll just keep him around. He, he won't do anything wrong. He, he, he'll sit there, sit around and twiddle his thumb. Well, he won't be twiddling his thumb. He doesn't have any. No? Okay. He'll sit around. Well, he won't be thumbing for a ride either, will he? No? I've got more. You want more? He won't thumb his nose at anybody. He will stand out like a sword, though. No? Quick? Okay. No, not even, not even one more. No. Okay. You won't be a man of all thumbs. No. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll leave it alone. But they left him around. Just to start here. A little bitty compromise. Not doing what God told them to do. And it's not just there. I'll take you to chapter 1, verse 19. Same thing. They're told to, to wipe them out. And in verse 19, it says, And the Lord was with Judah, and he drove out, drove out, drove out the inhabitants of the mountain, and he could not drive out the inhabitants of the valley because they had chariots of iron. So they left them there. 
They go into battle and they, they got scared of the chariots of iron, so they left them there. I can go even one more, verse 28. And it came to pass, and Israel was gone, they put out the hand out to tribute, and they did not utterly drive them out. He said, what does it mean to, to tribute? They, they made them slaves. They didn't utterly drive them out. They didn't destroy them. They didn't wipe them out. They left them around to be slaves. Like they were slaves in Egypt. Now we've got slaves out of the Canaanites. We'll leave them around. It's no big deal. So they're making little small compromise, one after the other after the other. And that small compromise is taking them from the heights of God's blessings to the lowest of God's cursings, just one little compromise. Compromise at a time. I can take it to another one. Just we're looking at that Judges chapter one. Look at verse thirty-two. But the Asherites, instead of wiping them out, dwelt among the Canaanites, inhabitants of the land, for they did not drive them out. Neither did Naphtali drive out the inhabitants of Bethshemesh, nor the inhabitants of Bethanath. They dwelt among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land. Nevertheless, the inhabitants of Bethshemesh and of Bethanath became tributaries unto them. They became their slaves. So again, they're letting the people stay and not obeying God. I can take you to chapter 3. I won't go there just yet. Yeah. Verse 5 of chapter 3. The children of Israel dwelled among the Canaanites, the Hittites, and the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And they took their daughters to be their wives. Gave their daughters to their sons to serve their God. Slow compromises. We'll let them stick around. It started off with the, the one leader where they cut his thumbs and big toes off. It was just one guy. And then it was a, an army of iron chariots that they couldn't get rid of. And then it became the, the ones that they made slaves. And before you know it, their children are marrying the children of those slaves. And they're intermixing and they're, they're slowly becoming just like the, the Canaanites. I don't know if it's that the older generation didn't tell them or that the younger generation didn't listen. But leaving them there, God knew if we don't drive them out, they'll influence. If we don't drive them out, that influence will overcome the godly influence. If we don't get rid of the sin, we don't get rid of their gods, if we don't get rid of who they worship and how they worship, if we don't get rid of all of it, then we will become like them. And that's the last thing we want to do. And we don't want to be like the nation. Israel was said to be a nation that was allied to all the other nations and, and their king would be God. But instead, they left the influence around, that little bit of influence, the little leaven to leaven hold them. And before you know it, the whole nation is going to fall away. It started in chapter 1, verse 6 with a small compromise and they will end up, we'll show you where they end up, what one generation tolerate, the next generation will accept. I'm going to say it again. For those in the back that didn't hear it. What one generation tolerates, allows, the next generation will accept. What happens? Look back with me at Judges 2. Verse 10, and also all that generation were gathered in their fathers, and there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. They knew about the Lord. They knew the stories. They knew the rituals. They knew the ceremonies. They knew all about Moses and the Exodus. They knew all about Joshua. But they didn't truly know God. 
They didn't know him experientially. It was all secondhand information. They didn't know him personally. He was not their God. He was a God of, of Joshua's generation. He was a God of Moses' generation. It, it's all stories of what they've been told. He was not the God of that generation. They didn't own him as their God experientially. They had no stories of their own about how God had delivered them and how God had saved them and how God had protected them and how God had provided for them. They had no experiential stories of their own. They had no saving knowledge of their own. They had no personal knowledge of God of their own. And that happens in a lot of churches. I pray it doesn't happen with my kids. That they grow up and the only thing they know about God is the story that daddy's told. As you're born in church, you're born into a Christian family, you know the hymns. You can sing hymn number one all the way to the last hymn in the, the book. I've got my little Emma, she's six years old right now, and she can, she can sing nothing but the blood of Jesus is better than anybody else in the church, in my opinion. Oh, precious is the blood, she would say. I can get her up here right now and she'd sing it. And she belts it out. She knows it. You can know the hymns. You can know the sermons. You can, you can attend the services. You can have all that. You know when to show up, what's expected of you, and how to dress. They had all of that. But you know what they didn't have? They didn't know God. And there is a generation in the churches today who their, their, their grandfathers and their grandmothers knew God experientially. They knew God personally. They knew God savingly. But we have a generation today who they know about God, but they don't know God. That's what's wrong. We have a generation today who knows when to go to church. They know when to open the hymnal. They know how to listen to a sermon. They know how to dress, but they don't know God. So the question for our generation today is, do you know God? Not do you know facts about God. We said this morning, you can know, Google facts about Jesus, but do you know him savingly? Do you know him personally? Do you know him experientially? Do you have your own experience with Jesus yourself? There's a generation somewhere, and I, I'm not a prophet, I can't tell you, that we went from, in America, a generation that knew God to a generation that doesn't know God. What happens when you have a generation that doesn't know God? I've got it right there in front of me. I'm not making this up. There arose another generation after them that knew not the Lord, that it knew Yahweh nor the works that he had done for Israel. And when you don't know God, watch this, here's the slope. There's compromise in generation. The next generation doesn't know God. And that next generation begins to do evil in the sight of God. And I don't have a lot of time to explain this to you, but look what happens in verse 11. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. If you don't know God, the next step is doing evil in the sight of the Lord. You start to sin. Sin becomes rampant in your life. Look, well, let me, just follow with me on this. They, they, they did evil. And when I say evil, they did evil. They, they turned to idols. They turned away from God and, and they began to worship idols. They, they become under the influence of the world, the, the nations around them. They canonized. They were living in a pagan land and they began to be influenced by those pagans. And, and, and they named the, the, the gods here, the figure, figments of their imagination. 
believing that they served Balaam. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt. You see what happens. I mean, I'm just, I'm just following you down the slope. Small compromise. Don't know God. Do evil. Turn your back on God, and you're in abandonment. And it happens gradually over generations. Where are we now? I know it's taken me a long time to get here. A compromising generation. A generation that doesn't know God. A generation that does evil. Sinful. A generation that turns their back on God. We'll get to the end when God turns his back on them. You tell me where we are in the slope. You know, somebody's going to do a screenshot of me trying to slide down this slippery slope into abandonment. But that's how it works. A gradual compromise. And I'm going to keep saying it just so you can, just you can grab it. It starts with a small little compromise where it's no big deal. And that leads to the influence of a generation that doesn't know God. They show up in the churches and they sit in the pews and they sing the hymns and they listen to the sermons, but they don't really know who God is. And you have a generation who doesn't know who God is, the next generation does evil and starts to serve idols. I'm not telling you who the idols are. They named Baal and Asherah, all his boyfriend and girlfriend, idols. Uh, this two little statues they put up there, and they sit beside each other and marry. These two idols were supposed to help them have babies. God promised them babies, and the generation before went to, them, went, went to God and said, we, we need a new generation. Would you, would you make us fruitful in our marriage? They trusted God for that. But now they're going to, to other gods and saying, these two gods, the Canaanites, they'll give us children. Now God promised them a generation, so big a generation, that more stars in the sky. But now they're turning to idols. They're turning to gods for the cross. God promised them to provide in their cross. But now they're turning to, to gods. They're, they're, they're turning to gods to, to, to win battles. God promised them that power. Do you see the slippery slope? Like a tailspin that just gets worse and worse and worse, and it keeps going and going and going until you get to the bottom of the room where at the end of judgment is doing what's right in your own house, whatever you want to do. Chaos. That's where it goes. Well, let me go down to the list again, and I'll give you an outline here in just a second. It starts with the height of God's blessing, and it turns into small little compromise instead of killing the man and cut his thumb off. Instead of driving them out, they let them stay and be slaves. So it started with small compromises, and it turns into not knowing who God is. It turns into evil in the sight of God. Turning your back on God completely, and the bottom of the rung is doing whatever I want to do. Chaos was driving on. What we allow in this generation, what we tolerate, what we look at and say, that's no big deal. That's compromise. And it's happened in our nation where Christians have looked at it and said, yeah, that, that, we'll let that pass. It's just a little thing. It's no big deal. 
And Lord, we allow the next generation will accept, and instead of saying it's no big deal, they'll say it's okay. Let me know if you keep saying that, but that's the slope. What we allow, what we tolerate, what we say, it's no big deal. The next generation will say it's okay. They will accept it, and it's happened. And I, I've got even lower for you. What we allow, the next generation will accept. And what we accept, that, that generation accepts, the next one will adopt where it becomes a part of who they are. They start marrying into it. They start to walk like the world and talk like the world. They do as the world and go as the world does. They watch what the world watches and they worship the way the world worships. They adopt the, the lifestyle of the world. And let me give you one more. Watch this. What we allow in this generation, the next one will accept. And, the, and what we accept, the next one will adopt. And what we adopt, the next one will advocate for. They'll fight for sin. They'll throw parades for sin. Where are we at? We've become a nation of compromising, or compromisers. And we've not lost the next generation. We're not losing the next generation. We've already lost the next generation. To the point now where we will be. I, mean, I, I can give you one statistic and I'll close. I'll, I'll move to the next point. In the 1960s in America, 65% of people believed that the Bible was 100% true. In the 1990s, they, had, they took the same poll, and it went from 65% believed the Bible was true to 30% believed the Bible was true. And 30 years later, in 2020, we are at 10% of Americans believe the Bible is true. And it's only getting worse and worse and worse. With enormous consequences. That's what I'm going to show you point number three. We've seen the great conquest. We've seen the gradual compromise. I want to show you the gruesome consequence. The gruesome consequence. It says in verse verse 13, they forsook the Lord and they served Baal and Asherah, the husband and wife idols, the figments of their imagination. Verse 14, here's the consequence. And the anger of the Lord was hot. That's a statement. The anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. Compromise the evil. Returning to idols. It angered God. When it says hot there, and I'm not going to underline, but I think it's a good way for us to underline. Because it's, it's showing us there how angry God was. He was hot. It means, literally in the Hebrew, his nose was burning. It means he was snoring like a horse. Angry. I want you to picture a red-faced God. Hot enough to explode. How do you get from the height of God's blessings to the lowest of God's curses to the point now where God is on fire angry? Sinners in the hands of an angry God angry. We ought to worry. Please, Lord, worry. We ought to be concerned that God might be angry. 
that God might be hot, red-faced, angry at our nation. That ought to concern us more than it does. That ought to concern churches. And we're living in a nation where God could be angry at us. And that, that term angry, it, it shows that, that God is not, and, and we've got to understand this, I know this is theological, and when anytime you open a passage of scripture, it's not just about man and, and, and us, it's about who, who, who's it showing us, or what is it showing us about God here? But it shows us what it says, and look at it, it says God was hot with anger. It shows he's not emotionless, cold, and distant, but he, he has, it says that he responds emotionally to the events on the earth. There's a term where people use to say God's implacable, which is a term that means he's, he's, he's cold and he's emotionless and he doesn't react and he doesn't respond at all. But I, I believe he's implacable in some ways, but I also believe he's impassioned. That God has a, that he responds emotionally to what he sees on the earth. The Bible is full of that. He's impassioned in that he is he responds emotionally, but he's implacable in that he is the subject of, of the circumstances on the earth. I want you to see it this way. His passion or his emotion, this is so good. I know this is big boy pool stuff here. It's not a kiddie pool where you're jumping in and you're talking about that deep. This is deep stuff here. He is he is emotional, emotionally responds. He's impassioned, but he's not out of control. When I get on fire, hot, mad. I'm usually out of control. It's knee jerk reactions. It's, it's mood swings. It's, I can't control my mouth at that point. I can't, I can't control my actions at that point. I'm out of control. But our God is impassioned, but not out of control. That's why I say He's both impassioned and He's implacable, which means His, his emotions and His responses are not out of control. Our God doesn't have knee jerk reactions. He's not subject to be manipulated by what we do. He's not a victim of circumstances or driven by circumstances. Our God doesn't have mood swings. His emotions, when he shows emotions and he responds emotionally, it's purposeful. It's settled. It's perfect. It's different than man. We see his emotions like this when we compare it to how we act. Our God is not like us. His anger is holy and perfect. So he's hot. I took you on a side road there. The anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. And he abandoned them. You can underline the word, he's angry, and then he delivered them. He gave them over. He banged them. Okay, he delivered them over to their enemies. To the hand of the spoilers that spoiled them. It says he delivered them over, he sold them into the hands of their enemies round about, so they could no longer stand before their enemies. God handed them over. No, no more protection, no more power, no more provision. You don't want me, you turn your back on me. Let's see how you'll do without me. I'm like, what if that's America? You don't want me? You don't want Ten Commandments? You don't want the Bible? You don't want to pray? You don't want to have church? You don't want me? Let's see how you do without me. I formed you. I blessed you. You're nothing without me. Let's see how you do without me. Chaos. Destruction. 
Has God handed us over? Not only that did he hand them over, but it says in verse 15, and wherever they went, the hand of the Lord was not for them, but was against them for evil. The protective hand is gone. God's hand now pushes against them. The provision is gone, and God no longer provides for them. Power is gone. They're not going to go weak on you now. What made Israel great was God. And now it's left. What made America great in the beginning and throughout its history was God. So we see there a nation under divine judgment. Is that us? Or God's taken his hand off of us and is now against us? Or God has just handed us over to our enemies? To those who were, what it says they could have spoiled us. But they could no longer stand. Wherever they went, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil. I'll say this about our nation. Economically, we're a mess. Culturally, we're a mess. Divorce rate in America is four times what it used to be. One out of three kids will grow up with a single mom. Abortion is at an all-time high. Drugs are overrunning our nation. And we are sexually deviant, unlike any nation I, the, the modern world has ever seen. Morally, we do whatever we want, whatever's right in our own eyes. Spiritually, where is the church? Do we look like a nation that is under the divine abandonment of God? That's up to you to figure out. Just the thought of it. This is at the end of verse 15. And they were greatly distressed. The nation said, we can't take it without God. And they were severely, exceedingly distressed. And the word distressed means cramped. You ever had a cramp? Your body just tightens up. I get cramps all the time after I run. Your body just tightens up and it's just... It, it, it's the most painful thing in the world. That's what this, they were greatly cramping. It, it was that it was, they couldn't take it anymore. They, they were screaming in agony. We can't make it without God. That's the right response. Israel saw that God abandoned them and left them to their enemies and to their spoilers and no more power, no more provision, no more protection. His hand was not on them but against them and he's pushing them away. Total abandonment. And they see that and they're distressed to the point where they cry out to God, what can we do to get you back? I should call that the, the response that is needed by America. We need to be greatly distressed by what we see. We need to be cramped up by what we see. We need to be severely distressed by what we see in our nation. And we're not. All we want right now in America is to get back to normal. To have our sports. To go out and eat. To go on vacation. That's all we talk about right now. Why, can't, why aren't we distressed to the point where if we don't get God back, we will fall as a nation. There's no distress. None. None. 
Churches are, are empty. Nobody's on the altar praying. Nobody's seeking the face of God. Nobody's distressed. They were distressed. And this is just the beginning of judgment. This is going to get worse and worse and worse. My question for you is, what will happen to us? You say, Josh, you can't leave us there. I'm not going to. I'm going to go to verse 16 and I'll close. Because you, you, you look at verse 15 and it's a bad ending. <laughs> it can't get much, much worse. And then you see the Old Testament version of but God. You see the hope, you see the life, you see the beauty of His grace. That as we have went from the heights of God's blessing all the way down to the lows of God's curses to the point where God has abandoned them and let them go, His hands against them, not for them. And they're doing what's right in their own eyes. Nevertheless, God, what does He do? He raises up judges. And there we begin the book of Judges. He will repeatedly in the book of Judges. Raise up a man to come into the nation to get them back on track. One judge after another after another. And these judges, when I say judges, I don't want you to think about a judge sitting behind a desk with a robe on and a gavel in his hand. This isn't what a judge is. These judges, it says, and God raised up judges to deliver them. These are warriors. These are guys with swords in their hands. These are guys coming to fight the battles. And, and, and they were losing to their enemies and they were being spooled. God raises up judges to come in. He raises up deliverers. Let's say this. He raises up saviors to come in and, and to bring the nation back to where it should be. And these either are heroes that come in to save the day. And they deal with the enemies and they deal with the spoilers, but they can't deal with the sin. It's just one time after the other, after the other, they come in and they'll win a battle and the nation falls again. They'll come in and they'll win a battle and the nation falls again. These are warriors that can't deal with sin. I'll say this. We need warriors in our day. And not just not warriors with a sword, but warriors with a sword. The passion of my heart is preachers. And we need in our nation today not a generation of coward preachers, of compromising preachers, but of courageous preachers that will stand up, open up the book, read the book, explain the book, apply the book, close the book, and sit down. It's not a time for weak men, it's a time for strong men to stand up and to stand on the Word of God. I think that's the only hope we have. Of pointing people not to the conquerors or the judges of this book, but to the Savior who came and did deal with sin. Stand up and preach the gospel. Stand up and point people to Christ. We won't win battles by pointing people to politicians. We won't win social battles. We must win spiritual battles by using the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. There is life. There's always life. There's always hope as long as we have God's Word and God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the 
question for us tonight is, are we distressed enough to pray? Are we distressed enough? Are we cranked enough to turn to Christ, to seek forgiveness, to ask for grace? Are we? I know this isn't a popular sermon. That's why we get 56 views on Facebook. But the 56 people that are watching, are we distressed enough? Where if my people would call on my name, will humble themselves and pray and see my face. And I will hear from heaven. And I will heal the land. We have enough people that would do that. We have enough Joshua's who will, as Joshua ended in his great and grand speech to the nation, choose you this day who we're going to serve. But as for me and my house, I'm going to serve the Lord. We need more men like Joshua and that generation. Will lead their families, lead their homes, lead their churches, and ultimately lead their nation back to where we need to be, back to God. And maybe if we do that, if we become stressed, distressed enough to pray, turn off CNN, turn off MSNBC, turn off Fox News and pray. Turn off your social media and pray. Turn to Christ, seek forgiveness, beg for grace, have mercy on us, O oh God. Maybe, just maybe, God will bless America again. Not by electing the right people, but by seeking the only Savior. That's how I want to take it. So I hope you follow with me as we go big chunk by big chunk through the book of Joseph. And maybe see how we, as a nation and as a people, can get ourselves from the lowest of God's curses back to the highest of God's blessings. Father, thank you for your word. I know this is a tough word tonight. This is a difficult passage even for me to preach and study. And God, I pray that you would not use the right tone in how I preach it. That the people that are listening would understand that this is a worrisome tone for me. That this is a concern we are seeing what's happening in our nation today. And we're not distressed about it. So I break our hearts again for the sins in our nation, for the direction that it's going. Turn our nation back to the foundation that we our nation back to its only hope, not in a Democrat, not in a Republican, not in a senator, not in a congressman, not in a president, not in a mayor, not in a governor, but in the Lord Jesus Christ. And all I have to say for us tonight, God, is God help us. God help us tonight to protect our people tonight and the nation as the sun goes down concerned about what's going to happen tonight. God protect us. God provide for us. God let your word go out in power. And we ask praise in Jesus' name.